0: Train of thought a podcast of the biblical christ research institute for our written articles go to bcri.wordpress.com and for sermons go to soundcloud and search biblical christ church for comments and questions email us at bcri train of thought at gmail.com thanks for listening
1: I posted uh, a couple things here. First is a link to the actual thesis, the PDF online. And then I have what is called the rod of Caduceus, the two snakes on the pole, as well as the rod of Asclepius, which is not the same as the rod of Caduceus. The rod of Asclepius has a single snake on a pole. And then you have the star of life in the emergency medical world is a blue star and uh, there 's a picture of that with the rod of Asclepius and the other rod of Asclepius with a single snake on the pole, so I, I chose to put this on the cover of the thesis that we 're distributing for a couple of reasons. The first one is that uh, the the snake on the pole is uh, has a unique historical background tied to emergency medicine, and I think it 'll elucidate how. Concerning this is as we go through the history of the snake on the pole. So, a lot of people think as they see this, like on ambulances and emergency rooms, etc., that this is a reference to uh, in Numbers 21. You had that scripture up? Mm-hmm. Get that.
0: There you go.
1: The pericope, the bronze serpent, pericope from. Numbers chapter uh, 21, where the, I'll I'll read it. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people so that many, many people of Israel died. So the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord and you. Intercede with the Lord that he might remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent, and set it on a standard, and it it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a standard, and it came about that if a serpent bit any man, when he looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. And a lot of people think that because of that, uh, that the emergency medical world and everything that they chose that, you know, that, you know, if the people looked at it, they lived and therefore emergency med- medicine, is going to save you, et cetera. And that was the decision. But that was not actually the decision for the, the uh, snake on a pole. Not from Numbers 21, but actually from what's called the Rod of Asclepius. So if you click on that link I put on, uh, on uh, the Facebook post here, it'll send you to Wikipedia just for people that are listening. And in Greek mythology, the Rod of Asclepius also known as the staff of Asclepius or the Asclepians, a the serpent-entwined rod wielding the Greek god Asclepius, a deity associated with healing and medicine. And that was what, they, what the people were thinking about. There was more, it has more of a secular tie to it that not, has nothing to do with going to Numbers. So I just want everyone to know that, understand that. The other thing is uh, the other rod um, that is confused is different than the rod of Asclepius that you see on medical buildings, et cetera, is caduceus, and it has a completely different context than Asclepius. So I put the rod of Asclepius, if you go back to the uh, thesis uh, cover. Um, can you go back, uh, put that back on there? Yep, cool. That uh, I'm taking exception to that symbol. I'm not in favor of it. I'm making a point, kind of mocking it. And uh, I wanted to put it on there being like, you know, this whole concept of medical triage because Dr. Moeller said he discovered this in the emergency room, you know, and they call this the star of life. This is, uh, you know, I'm taking exception to this symbol that I put on the front. It's, it's, it's a dangerous thing, you know, I'm saying, and I'll point out why that is in a second here as I read from the book of Revelation. So if people looking at this, you know, the fact that that symbol is up there is, you um, is, is not a good thing. It's, uh, it's criticizing this star of life that you find on ambulances. Because if you go to um, the book of Revelation, chapter two, Jesus message to Pergamum, the church that met in Pergamum. The, um, the town of Pergamum, the city, was where maybe they, they argue the, one of the first medical schools. And the statue, as you're going into this medical, medical school in the first century, had the rod of Asclepius and the school is founded after, you know, the Greeks had, they wanted the God of Asclepius represented the the false God in the front of their, um, their medical school. And, uh, you have a snake on a pole. So listen what Jesus said to them in chapter two, verse 13 of the book of revelation. I know where you dwell where Satan's throne is. So, there's two major statues there in Pergamum. There's the Asclepius, Sclepius, and I believe another one, like a one for Zeus. And uh, but the one with the Sclepius had the snake on it. And in Scripture, um, the devil's represented as you know a snake, the serpent of old, the spiritual serpent who used the physical serpent to tempt the woman. And she ate from the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil that God told Adam not to eat because he said, the day you eat of it, you'll surely die. And then she gave it to her husband who was with her. And when he ate, you know, as federal representative of the entire human race, the whole human race fell into original sin and total depravity. So it's a negative thing. People need to understand the, the background behind that, you know, because mm-hmm. ambul- ambulances is part of the world system, you know, hospitals. Although they, they do good and they want to, you know, there's a lot of things um, that that's positive about, you know, just the way that hospitals function and ambulances, you know, to help people um, who are who are sick, injured, etc. They're also tied, you know, to the secular world system and uh, and all the features that come along with that, with uh, Greek mythology and just the development of medicine and the medical world, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So go back to the uh, the cover. And any brothers can just jump in and interrupt me as I'm going through this because I just want to go through the thesis and explain the decisions that were made, provide some commentary, point out some of the some of the features that those that have taken exception to me in the thesis and have taken exception to you guys, uh, some of their criticisms, um, you know, some typos that people are making fun of, etc. As we go through this uh, and give some commentary and explanations for that. So the title there is: "There any biblical warrant?" For the doctrinal triage, and again, if there's biblical warrant for it, then you know we want to hold to it. So we're going to look at All the right. scriptures and examine them to see if this is what actually what the Bible teaches. This system that moeller says that he's the architect that he that he uh, invented in uh, the, the early 2000s. So this is a thesis by Eric Powers, and you guys helped me write this, and I explained what that me- what that meant last time, mm-hmm. as I lived in Sun- uh, near Sun Valley, California. Drone's still out there. Uh, This was December 2016. It was a fulfillment for for graduating from the Master's Seminary. So go to the next page. Um, Again, I want to point out to those listening that this is an academic thesis. So it is registered as such. And those that want to say anything about this particular topic, if they don't come, uh, whether they use my material positively or negatively, if they don't cite it, then they're not they're whatever they're putting out is not truly academic because this is one side of the argument and you have to read this and you have to engage this and engage the arguments You can't just say it's a trash thesis without actually reading it and telling me why it is you can't say it's false teaching until you give arguments of why just just because you're upset that this is attacking Moeller's pseudo unity and and it's and it's uh just pointing out the fact that you know this whole pseudo unity is uh This this thesis is going to interrupt the pseudo unity. So Presbyterians and and Baptists are going to have to kind of look at each other strangely now, because uh, no longer um, are they going to agree on second and third tier. I mean, they don't agree, but um, that's going to actually get in the way and mess with their their pseudo unity. So again, uh, engage the arguments in the thesis. You can't just uh, don't don't just slander it and um, poison the well just by uh, or flooding people with uh, claims that you know, it's trash or, or it's false teaching when you can't even engage the arguments and explain why. So, again, this was copywritten in 2017 after I graduated, and uh, there's a little uh, clause here. For more essays on theology by this author and like-minded writers, you guys, visit the Biblical Christ Research Institute, and then you have the b c r. i. link there where all our articles are uh there's another the next one is a um a little paragraph that you have to put for uh oh, he's all, that. The majority scripture. of this the, the scriptures ahead. in here are, from, are are um are uh, uh quoted from the new american standard bible so there's a copyright for that that you have to put on there so i got permission uh, from the from lockman the foundation you know and I, you put that on there because I'm using. There's quite a bit of scripture references in here. I think there's like a limit for how many you can actually put in uh, a book or academic paper or whatever there without is. asking yeah. without asking permission. But if you go over that, you got to ask permission. So it just shows you that there's a lot of scripture quotations in this thesis. It's not just you know me going on and on talking about other things. This is uh, you know I quote scripture a lot in this. So we to the next page. Uh, uh yeah there's again the title page here go to the next one um this was accepted by the master seminary faculty and partial fulfillment requirements to the degree of master's divinity and there's uh, the advisor that signed his signature go to the next page um abstract so yeah so in order to like write a thesis like this you got to present you know your abstract your you know what you're saying or what it's going to be about and that has to be approved first before you can continue to write. So, again, the concept, of the title—you know—is there any biblical warrant for the doctrinal triage? Does Scripture compartmentalize doctrine into primary, secondary, and tertiary levels of importance? That's the question. The Scripture—it's a question I'm bringing before everybody here, um, examining what Dr. moeller put together. Does Scripture, in fact, compartmentalize doctrine into primary, secondary, and tertiary levels of importance? So the following passages will be examined from the Word of God to evaluate if there is any biblical warrant for the doctrinal triage, and these are the pericopes, the sections, the passages that uh, the second chapter, majority of the actual thesis, is actually looking at, because these are the the passages that proponents of doctrinal triage would appeal to and have appealed to to argue. The validity of their system. Matthew chapter 15, uh, Matthew chapter 22, uh, 23, Acts chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Ephesians chapter 4, and Jude chapter 1. So today, I go on to write today there are many leading voices in evangelicalism that postulate the doctrinal triage as a hermeneutical principle prescripture what do you I mean would you guys agree with that if you talk about the guys that had that platform you know that uh like Dr. Moeller and others would you say that in 2019-20 that you know this is these guys uh leading voices in evangelicalism would you say that they postulate doctrinal triage as a hermeneutical principle
0: uh yeah I would I would say it, it still happens I would say it happens a lot more frequently than it when it when it first started, because of course you know as with any new kind of trend, it has to catch on. Um, unfortunately, this one caught on um, fairly quickly, and so now uh, it's to the point now where people use it as a cop out, so that they don't have to engage uh, particular arguments that go against their the pet doctrines that they hold to. So they'll, you know, make statements such as, you know, oh, well, you know, that's, that's like a secondary or that's a, that's a third level doctrine. You know, we don't really have to argue about that. Let's just get along. Let's just go along to get along and let's not really find out what the actual truth is about that doctrine. So yeah, you know, sure. I, I would, I would say that um, it continues to be uh, championed because like we said on the, on the last, uh, Podcast episode, um, uh, Ortland. I, I think his name is Gavin Ortland. Mm-hmm. Part of the part of the, the gospel coalition have written a written a book called uh, "What Was It? Uh, Hill, Hills to Die On" or something to that, something yeah. to that effect. Uh-huh. In in support of, and this is a recent book. And he wrote the book in support of primary, secondary, tertiary. Levels of doctrine. I think he even mentions adiaphora, which is you know uh, things that aren't aren't possibly mentioned in scripture or things are where the scripture is silent about. Mm-hmm. So he added that level too. Um, oh, I, I kind of okay. glanced at it a little bit. I need to get it so I can. Yeah, read, I need it. I'll, read I'll, it. I
1: would like to read it. Yeah, and again, I mean that that came out because I, as I mentioned, this was copyrighted in two thousand seventeen. This came out. as is academic thesis. So. That book that you're referring to just recently was published Mm -hmm. by Crossway. And if it doesn't have, you know, this side of the argument, you know, that's found in the thesis, um, then it's not a real, I mean, it's not a real academic, you know, attempt. It's just kind of like, you just want to flood people with your view. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. I think, I think it's largely assumed now because it's been, you know, it's been probably about approximately, 10, 12 years since it kind of first was released onto the scene uh, the doctrinal triage. I think now you probably see, not only is it assumed, but more of the followers are postulating what the leaders once kind of held to, and they do it more fervently, which is the example Jesus puts forward as to with any any kind of error. We see it in the Pharisees and the religious leaders in Israel. But I, I think you have more of their followers kind of You know, people who hold to the doctrine of triage, even unbeknownst to them, as to what points, you know, uh, what points are more important than others. I think, you know, the the followers are probably championing this a lot more than the leaders, you know, once did, because I think it now has run its course. Uh, But I still think the leaders certainly hold to it and influence that. Um, You know, I think now more so, we've talked about it before, I think because you have doctrinal ignorance a lot of people are now defending the triage because they don't understand the doctrines that even, you know, their precious leaders are sorted. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it's a cop out in the other direction where you oh, can yeah. hold, you can hold to the triage and not have to deal with any of the doctrines. Oh yeah. So I think there's more of that happening.
1: But you know, when I'm, when I'm opening up this, this abstract here, it's, it's a very dangerous statement I am actually making. Cause I say today there are many leading voices in evangelicalism that postulate the doctrine of triage. And then here it is as a hermeneutical principle for scripture so if, if they're actually treating this as as a hermeneutical principle for scripture and this is not found in the word of god as a self-attested principle of interpretation then this is this doctrinal triage therefore when you when you're thinking about interpreting scripture it is eisegesis mm-hmm. it's reading something foreign into the text and so that's why this is a dangerous statement. That's why this is such an important topic to talk about, because if they're wrong and they're treating this as a hermeneutical principle, in, but how they read the Bible and also how they practice in, in their churches and their relationships with other churches, et cetera, et cetera, then they're in the realm of what would be categorized as being pharisaical, adding to the word of God and reading uh, a system into the word of god that's that's not justified from the scripture so uh the doctrinal triage is the practice and this is this is the definition of it is the practice of prioritizing biblical doctrines according to their individual degree of importance labeling them as of primary importance secondary importance or tertiary importance however the doctrinal triage However, is the doctrinal triage a self-attested hermeneutical principle from the Word of God, or has man imposed the triage system upon the Word of God, or like I'm saying, I see Jesus reading into the text, upon the Word of God to allow for the reader to distinguish which biblical doctrines have more weight and importance than others? And as you were bringing up, Chris, can you bring that uh, again? Like you were saying that people were all over the place.
0: Oh, yeah, because um, uh, originally, I was, uh, as I said on the last podcast, originally, I was in favor of the triage. Um, I, I I thought, in my mind, I thought it was helpful uh, for unity, um, but over time, um, I began to, I don't know what made me research it further, but I started researching it further, and I found a a grid, I can't, I, I looked and looked for it, <laughs> I don't know if somebody took it down or the website closed down or whatever, but I, I looked and looked, but there was a particular site that I went to, and it had a grid showing how each certain, like the major denominations like Presbyterians, Lutherans, um, so on and so forth, viewed these tiers, Yeah. and there was pretty much almost full agreement on the primary, almost, not quite. But then when you get to secondary and and third level or tertiary doctrines, it was all over the place. There wasn't the the problem with the, the and then I came to the realization that the problem with the triage is that they don't even agree on what is actually primary, secondary and tertiary. There's, there's, there's disagreement
1: there. So it becomes subjective. The reader now gets to determine through the system what the, how they feel, right? And, and or, or what their denomination dictates, right? What is what is secondary what is tertiary, and so. And, and if and, you
0: can't if you can't agree there, then there's no real unity.
1: Yeah, exactly. And but this is what this is allowing for. That's why mm-hmm. this is becoming a hermeneutical principle because your um, churches are constructing their doctrinal statements. You know the what they believe and how they practice in their um, philosophy of ministry based on what they feel is primary secondary and tertiary and they everyone kind of differs and and what i'm going to bring up is duran and i actually heard in class one professor i'm not going to use his name because i don't want to embarrass him but he said the doctrine of imputation is 15th tier 15th importance i'm gonna go (laughs) i'm gonna go on hold hold on a second listen to this
0: i'm I'm sorry
1: what (laughs) yeah yeah i'm about i'm about to explain this in a second does uh, next paragraph does the doctrinal triage compartmentalize the truth in a way that the bible does not question what are the criteria for determining which doctrines are primary secondary tertiary question you see the logical flow of even how i'm writing my abstract Mm -hmm. as we're even talking about it this is very thought you know that this was well thought through. This was bounced off other people. You know, it's I'm not um, pontificating and just jumping around all the place. This is as a logical thought for uh, the, And so that that's for all those uh, fellows that would call it a trash thesis when when they haven't even told me why. But anyway, is the doctrinal triage an emotional appeal to unity without explicit biblical support and therefore a pseudo unity? These are these are questions that we need to ask. There's nothing wrong with asking these questions. Does the doctrinal triage allow for ecumenical unity or does it cultivate a unity that uh, Christ commands his people to pursue? So, again, that's a, that's a very, I mean, that's, a, that's an honest question. In other words, does the doctrinal triage promote doctrinal novelty and a pseudo unity or sound doctrinal unity? And what we're looking for is sound doctrinal unity, not a pseudo unity, not doctrinal novelty, but sound doctrinal unity. The purpose of doctrinal triage in the endeavor of studying theology—this is the third paragraph—for the systematician, layperson, or those in pastoral ministry is to promote unity among denominational divides. I mean, that's that's why they're using it, right? And theological differences. And so that's that's
0: to... that's how you can have uh, organizations like evangelicals and Catholics together, the ECT, yeah.
1: and it never ends. I mean, when is it? When is the line drawn? Right. Again, that's subjective, too. So, you know, Mueller made comments that he would go to jail with Mormons, you know, arguing for, you know, the um, the integrity of the family, you, you know, because it's, you know, second tier, but it's very important to him. So, uh, for example, core tenets of the gospel of the Lord Jesus, like his cross work and bodily resurrection, are triaged into level of primary importance. And I would argue that they're – very, you know, absolutely. Those doctrines are essential and primary. Um, the cross, his crosswork in bodily resurrection. Whereas the theological controversy between cessationism and continuationism is considered a secondary matter of importance because people like John Piper and and how he makes them how he makes them feel emotionally, and um, you know, that, so they want to kind of mix mix that in a little bit and use some of his stuff and get the blood pumping. Um, ecclesiology <laughs> I'm sorry, eschatology. Can I can I, can I,
2: yeah. can I interrupt you there? <laughs> sure. Just just because having formerly been in charismaticism, I, I I've always yeah, made yeah. the argument that it's it's quite insulting to the charismatics because they would they would see a lot of the things modern evangelicals call secondary issues as primary issues. They would see them as primary issues. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when 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 yes. evangelicals say, well, you know, the issue of tongues and and things such as the spirit baptism, the 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 die in the wool, true charismatic will see those things as a means of breaking fellowship right. uh, if you don't adhere to those things. So I think it's insulting in this system to ascribe secondary matters to groups who think that they're primary, even though I would say that even though they consider it primary, it's heresy, it's false. But but to say, to dismiss it and say that what they believe is secondary, when they're ascribing to what they believe is primary, uh, I think it's insensitive and dishonest as well. And that that points back to this, what Eric was
0: saying, the subjective nature of this, right. Um, this triage. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. Go oh, ahead, yeah. brother.
1: No, I mean, that's that true. So, like, you have other people, like, that aren't as ecumenical that, you know, that are kind of... Um, making this whole modern evangelicalism look like uh, a joke. And, you know, and those are, those are, those are heretics, you know, the, the charismatics. You know, but um, so I, I actually I bring up this argument a lot when I'm talking to people. It's, it's, it's those who are ecumenical like this that are actually worse off than people that are, are actually deceived. You know, so some people might disagree with me on that, but you, you'll find out when you stand before God. So, uh, for example, ten, core, 10 tenets of the gospel, Lord Jesus, crosswork by the resurrection, or triage into level of primary importance. Where, whereas theological controversy between cessationism and continuationism is considered a secondary matter of importance. Eschatology is often considered to be a tertiary matter of importance, third tier, and it's certainly third tier in in Moller's um, construct. But some people, like even that would hold the doctrinal triage, would say no. Eschatology is definitely primary; it's very important. And so pe- the, everyone differs from that. But it's the guys that are like, like Dever and Moeller, that have rub- rubbed shoulders with John MacArthur. Uh, Moeller was the one who said it. Uh, well, actually, MacArthur made a comment at one of his conferences that every self-respecting Calvinist is a premillennialist. Mm-hmm. so macarthur wouldn't have made that comment if he didn't feel very strongly about his positions of eschatology which i'm gonna agree with uh, dr macarthur so he made that comment and that made a lot of calvinists upset because majority of calvinists today are uh amillennial or post millennial yep. so that really stirred up a a, a big controversy this was like uh, i think it's two shepherd's conference 2007 or 2008 whenever that was they said that and I, at the end of my thesis i bring up. Um, a sermon that was preached by uh, Dever who heard that and he uh, obviously got upset. Um, and so he's going through the book of revelation as he gets to the passage about the millennial kingdom, he, he says, and it's quote at the end of the thesis. We'll go over that when we get there, but just to point it out real quick. He said, anyone leading their congregation in a particular view of the millennium, if they're a pastor and they're leading their congregation to have a doctrinal statement, in a particular view of the millennium, he says, if, if the pastor does that, that pastor's in sin. <laughs> so
2: Hey, to, to interrupt you, didn't, didn't uh, Paul the Apostle to the Gentiles begin to teach eschatology within three weeks of being a Thessalonica?
1: Wow, I mean, that's a good point. Uh, mm-hmm.
2: We're just, we're just going to leave that there.
1: All right. Well, and, and we're gonna, We have a lot of, that we, we need to talk about when we get to eschatology here. Um, I, uh, the author goes on the right. However, in doctrinal Triage, the ultimate criteria for triage is subjective to the reader of the scripture. Whereas the reader, or I'm sorry, where the reader is the authority to distinguish the authorial intent of doctrinal importance. Mm-hmm. And that's where you have elements of postmodernism because uh, we're supposed to read the Bible like we'd read any, any other book in, in this sense, in this sense, that we're interested in drawing out the author's intended meaning. We don't, as the reader, we don't get to um, say that we're the authority to interpret it however we want. And that's a major problem in evangelicalism. Is you got traces of postmodernism getting in there, and you didn't interpret that right. Well, how did I interpret it? Well, you didn't interpret the way that I wanted you to interpret. Why? Because you're interpreting this because you think that you're the authority and you get to dictate um, the author's intended meaning. Mm-hmm. But God had the human authors to write down what God wanted in the scriptures, and that's the authorial intent that we as exegetes are to draw from the author's um, intended meaning. We're not to interpret the Bible however we want to interpret based on um, our creed or our culture or uh, p- passages that we don't like, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So we are to be exegetes, draw out the author's intended meaning. We're not to be postmodern and employ features from the secular world where, where the reader is the one who gets to interpret the scripture however the reader wants. And so that's the problem that I'm pointing out here. So if it's, you you're even you, you admitted, Chris, that there's so many different people, so many different denominations that are is subjective, what they feel is second, third, you know, 15th tier, which I'm going <laughs> to talk about in a second. Um, that, you know, so the reader is acting like the authority. And listen, the elders of the Lord's Church don't get to do this either. right? Because it's their church and, 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 and that they um, put together their doctrinal statement. This is really important. Because the correct view of ecclesiastical leadership, according to the apostle Paul, is elder rule, not congregational rule elder led where you vote in your, vote in your elders, but elder rule, and the authority is not intrinsic in the man that holds the position of elder, as he clearly points out in the epistle to Titus. The authority is in the doctrine, so if the elders are deviating from the doc, from true apostolic doctrine. Um, they are disqualifying themselves, but a lot of evangelicals just follow men like, you know, whatever the elder says, we're supposed to follow them. Well, that's antithetical to what the Bible teaches The the elders are um, are constrained to the principles from the word of God from exegesis, the word of God, and when they deviate away from that, people are not to follow them. And that is a major problem It's causing a lot of mess here because they, they put these people up in, the, in these positions of leadership, and whatever they say goes. And they just follow him to do whatever they want, you know. But he points out to Titus, as Titus is going to Crete, and he's setting up elders. He points out the authority is in in the word, not in the man. And actually, I want to read that real quick because this is really important. And I think it is related to what we're talking about. That's uh, Titus chapter 3. No, Titus chapter 2. And uh, Titus was not the, the pastor of Crete. He was an apostolic delegate. Timothy was not the pastor of Ephesus. He was an apostolic delegate sent by the Apostle Paul to that church to, to set things in order. So we got uh, Titus chapter 2, the beginning of the context, verse 1. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. And now you go to the bottom of the context. Verse 15 he goes over a lot of things and then go to verse 15 these things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority let no one disregard you the authority is not in titus the authority is him speaking the things which are fitting for sound doctrine apostolic doctrine so everyone just wants to follow the elders and trusting you know that they're going to lead them well you need to examine them according to what the bible teaches of qualifications for elders and the parameters set. And so um, God also has things that protect the elders. That's clearly laid out in, uh, in uh, first Timothy chapter five. And so there's certain rules they have to follow. But when the elders um, become like Pharisees and they deviate away from the word of God, then uh, you're, you're in sin for actually following them. I don't care what anyone says. I don't care what their doctrinal statement says, et cetera, et cetera. We're to be exegetes, drawing out the author's intended meaning. A true church is not a church because someone just sent it was sent out by an institution or someone popular in evangelicalism. A true church is a true church if it is carrying the torch of apostolic doctrine, sound doctrine from the New Testament. And so we don't get to um, mess around with the author's intended meaning. There's Brother, the authority? Can I, yeah, can i say ahead.
2: something there i'm sorry yeah and also uh, it's something that you've said in the, in the past i can't recall if you said it on the podcast yet but uh they're also not to formulate doctrine uh so these guys aren't supposed to be sitting around
1: making uh, up trying stuff.
2: To, yeah trying to formulate doctrine uh or create
1: your... unity because he says preserve something that you pointed out to me when you were going through ephesians and you were teaching us in ephesians Daron. You pointed that out and I put that in the, in the thesis. So I was like, dude, he's absolutely right, man. And, says, and same with Jude
2: contending yeah. for a once and delivered corpus.
1: Yes, exactly. So. Exactly. Um, uh, just, just quick, go back
0: where you were talking about how the, the permeation of post-modern, postmodernism into yes. the church. Uh, you see that especially in small groups when people break up into small groups.
1: And what does this mean to you and
0: yeah and and the question is asked well well so they read a text of of scripture and then they say well it means to me it means or i think it means this and then they stop and they let people marinate for a minute and they go well what does it mean to you and then you get 15 different answers
1: yeah, that's I mean, that's <laughs> that's exactly what we would uh, we would say is is the the wrong thing <laughs> to do, because look, dude, I mean, the Bible is not choose your own adventure books that we had as kids. growing <laughs> oh, up. You, know, man. You, 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 you do you get in the car and pay, if you get in the car, turn to page five, uh, if those. you don't get in the car, turn to page 10. It's not open theism. It's not postmodernism. So that's why people are doing that, you know, in the circle. And, uh, you know, as uh, Tuesday night, when they, they break up into small groups of the church and the houses and stuff, we all went through it and you're kind of just like, you know, people are just saying the darndest things. Um, they should have a show about, you know, people say that, so the kids because everyone's just, you know, whatever, it, whatever the, the passage, they think the passage means to them. And so why, why are the guys that are taking exception to me writing this? Why are they not listening to what I'm saying? Okay, why are they? You know, you you all are not interested in exegesis. If you were interested in exegesis, then you'd be backing this.
0: Well, part because, the, I'm gonna I'm tell I'm, you, I'm gonna tell you part of the reason is because to them you're a peon. So they think they're elite. They, uh, they're they're part of the evangelical elite, and they think they're elite. And so they're like, "Who is this Eric Powers guy? He doesn't know what he's talking about." And so they just automatically dismiss you. Because to you, you don't, you don't carry any value.
2: You don't, you're not important.
1: So um, in, a, in a word, they're triaging me. Basically.
2: Yeah. We said that on the first, we said that on the, when we begin the introduction to this in the episode, Eric, uh, before, before you came on, we were talking about the triage, Chris and I, and we were saying an effect of triage and doctrine is you're going, you're going to triage men. And, um, and if and your so, fratern-
1: and if your fraternity is triaging men, then you're most likely going to uh, accept this position and approach doctrine this way
0: the, Absolutely. The, the celebrity the celebrity culture makes it easy for men to be triaged this is Absolutely. This is why I always encourage small pastors uh pastors that's not small pastors pastors of small churches. To <laughs> a shot at me. <laughs> yeah, it might be, it might be I'm might. <laughs> but it's it that's why I always try to encourage the pastors of these small churches where it's ten people, twenty people, thirty, you know, just just remain faithful, you know, and don't feel like because you're not speaking at a conference, you're not invited to conferences, and you don't have these big guest speakers coming to your church and you're not writing all these books that are New York Times bestsellers that somehow you're not doing what you're supposed to do. If you're being faithful to the right, le- to the right dividing of the word of God, you're doing what you're supposed to do. Keep doing that. Don't, don't right. worry about this celebrity culture. Exactly.
3: Um, I, I, I'm going to say, yeah, go ahead. I, I agree, you know, that they think that, uh, but I think that they don't really believe it. And I'll I'll tell you why, because if they've read it, they're going to have to wrestle with the fact, is this true or is this not true? Does the scripture lay this out or it doesn't? So they're, they're being dishonest and they're lying to themselves and lying to others. If they say they're faithful and they care about God's word, they can dismiss a person all they want, but they cannot dismiss God's word. And so if in here it's laid out the way God's word is laid out, then guess what? They're in trouble. And so so this reality, this isn't a popularity contest. This is about making Christ's name known and fighting for truth and contending for the truth and the faith and, and, and drawing others to to fight for truth and contend for the faith. And so we, we aren't in competition with them. So whether they think that we are peons, I really don't care, actually. Um, and so in that sense, uh, and I'm not dismissing because I think a lot of them do believe that and think that way. A lot of people follow people simply because of celebrity status, not because they're standing for truth. And so, um, and, and on that side, there's many that do have large platforms that are standing for truth. And, and I know you're not saying that. I, I also want to just say something too, is that, um, a lot of these people that, that, uh, abide by triage, um, are just simply following a, what a man says. They do not have first-hand convictions. And so you're saying, why does it become so popular? Because it's easy to be lazy. It's, it's easy to just follow a man than to stand for truth and fight for truth. And so these people aren't fighting for truth. They're fighting for, for themselves, defending themselves, defending men, defending family members that are in false cults and false uh, doctrine. And so the, the fact of the matter is, is that they're not really standing for truth or fighting for truth. They're just following men that they a- adhere to. And I say that because if, if they follow the truth and these men deviated, then they would leave these men. And the the deeper issue is that so many people follow these men because they believe they were saved by these men. Yeah, yeah. And what I mean by that is that there's many of these people that were in false doctrine. Let's just say they were in charismaticism like Duran or like you, and then they come to a church that holds to uh, Calvinistic doctrine, the doctrines of grace. They're so enamored by that that they they, they come out of idolatry of charismaticism in men, and they just bring it right into quote-unquote sound doctrine and do the same thing. And so they adhere themselves to sound doctrine but not christ right and so that is why this is so popular that is why it's so evident and that's why it's so uh uh, it's booming among people as a literal hermeneutic principle it it is and so all people can do is now look at at every interaction through the lens of this hermeneutic principle and so they just shut off truth because hey it doesn't line up with my hermeneutic principle that's that's why you see people saying well no, no, no. Um, that's second tier. Uh, that's just, that's just uh dishonest. Uh, it's lazy, and, and and for most people, it's just because they've never really searched the scriptures to themselves.
2: Yeah, I, I, mean, would, I would, as as we, oh, go ahead, Daron. No, no, I would, I would, I agree with everything Mike just said, and I would, I would, I would only add that. Um, you know, the effect of that is that much of modern evangelicalism—the reason that this is thriving—is it's a largely rabbinical culture. Yeah. Where if you if, you know if you can quote the top ten evangelical celebrities and you know if you can demonstrate that you're quoting what they're saying, you don't necessarily even have to understand what they're saying, um, then people kind of relate that to some not only academic expertise but that that actually appears to be one who's searching out the scriptures for themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Gentiles at the end of the modern evangelical era have become like the Jews were in the first century.
2: Absolutely. It's just rabbinical. It's a rabbinical tradition of quoting people. People who may be saying right things, but you don't have their convictions, which is, it goes back into a circle. I believe that this, that's why this thesis has been criticized in the way it has, because men, men were told to criticize it based on other men, and so they they have done so. The criticisms that I have seen uh, that you men are directly addressing have not been biblical criticisms, which we welcome those, uh, but they haven't been, well, have you considered this chapter and verse? Have you considered these particular arguments? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for
1: all of us. I mean, we all deal with that all the time, people coming at us with that. Um, yeah, but I, I'm jealous for the sound doctrine in these places. I'm jealous because yes, sure. the way that they have their ecclesiology set up, it contradicts that sound doctrine that they're saying they're adhering to. So, th- so they're not sound in that sense. And so I'm jealous for that sound doctrine to be accurately represented by sound ecclesiology. Right. And that's why I'm so provoked by this. But look, I, I, hey, Eric, I on, real quick, yeah. can I say
3: one thing? The reason why so many people get so angry with this when they're confronted is because their whole foundation is built on this hermeneutic principle. Hell oh, yeah! Their whole Christian life, uh-huh. and so if it's taken from them, then what's that mean about them?
0: Absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, that. Yeah. It's, that's that. Cri- now, because now they're going to end up having a crisis of belief, and they're yes. going to have They're going to have to decide whether they're going to remain with men, or they're going to stand on the authority of the Word of God. yeah Yeah, but embrace through the the power and conviction and illumination of the holy spirit
1: oh yeah and 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 embrace that crisis of faith because hey Mm -hmm. this is opportunity for repentance if you come out
0: duran and i had to do it i mean you guys i'm sure you guys had to do it at some point too with some of the doctrines that you have held to back in the day when when the word says you're wrong you're wrong
1: yeah this is where evangelicalism has become okay so you went out of walked out of a pentecostal church and saying for instance, uh, coincidence, and you go into a, you know, you know, quote unquote sound church, but their ecclesiology is all messed up and everything, and so you got to leave there. You know, you got, you got to have firsthand convictions. So yeah. look, mm-hmm. uh, here's the thing, though. So, however, in doctrinal triage, you bring up the screen again. All right. Uh, in uh, doctrinal triage at the end of um, paragraph three, last uh, couple clauses here or sentences however in the doctrinal triage the ultimate criteria for triage is subjective to the reader of the scripture where the reader is the authority to distinguish the authorial intent of doctrinal importance making it subject to change and scientific consensus so as it comes to scientific consensus where men you know th- this you know, this is an evolution so we can go back and forth and uh this is the case because scripture does not specify or catalog catalog doctrine as primary secondary or tertiary in level of importance um and actually there was a professor that said the doctrine of um of imputation was a 15th tier i skipped that sentence some have back in a uh, chapter or Paragraph three. Some have even suggested the doctrine of imputation, a 15th tier doctrine of importance. Yeah, and as, so, a,
2: as, a, as a witness, just cooperating that because I was in the class, I won't name the professor either. But yeah, exactly. he was he was, he, he, he was asked a question and he and that's how he answered. He was asked, and he said,
1: how important is is the question was asked this way? How important is the distinction of imputation? Right. And, ex- and he goes, well, I would say that's about 15th tier. Right. So, so it, was so, direct, it was a direct
2: question and a direct answer so, so, yeah. christ, so christ's and, and righteousness then, is not important. and then everyone
1: laughed and then everyone laughed and i looked at deron everyone's laughing and i wasn't laughing so like second corinthians 5 21 for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of god it's the it's the great exchange of the cross of christ the imputation of his personal righteousness to the account of the believing sinner because our sins were charged to his account he died on the cross paying the penalty that we deserve and it and it was um, he he satisfied the wrath of God for all eternity for us. I can't think of anything more important to talk about, and 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 uh, the treasure of that and understanding and and when I understood the doctrine of the great exchange of the cross, and it, it was illuminated the aha moment, and I and I trusted in Christ, um, I was justified. It's tied to justification that happened to me. that happened to me. Second Corinthians five twenty one. I I heard I heard that. And I heard about imputation and the great exchange of the cross. And I believed and I trusted in Christ's personal righteousness alone, his cross work and his resurrection from the dead for my justification. I remember that moment at that moment. Uh, like, uh aha, it was like, I understood the gospel. I was like, Oh, I get it now. And, and, and I, you know, and I trusted in the person of Christ alone at that moment in my life, I was justified Mm -hmm. because because before that I, I was I was regenerated, regeneration precedes comes before um, faith and justification, but I believed because God gave me a new heart, and I, I remember very, very clearly understanding imputation, and then I felt the the the, the freedom and the peace that I had w- when that happened in my life. I felt kind of like uh, um, Christian from Pilgrim's Progress, where the the burden came off his back mm-hmm. I, I literally you know, the the peace that I had at that moment.
3: Well, what you just described, nobody would ever say out of their <laughs> mouth. they didn't have the audacity to say, that that's 15th tier. Mm-hmm. And nobody would laugh at that unless they
1: were laughing out of just mere shock well, that understands um, the yeah.
3: of Christ. I don't care what anyone says. It's yeah, not laughable.
1: Th- there were some brethren out of the, um, the, brethren yeah. movement, the Brethren movement and people that Charles Spurgeon took exception to, um, The guy that that they coined who invented dispensationalism, um, uh, uh, Nelson Darby, Darby, who denied the correct position on imputation. And so there's a lot of people within dispensationalism that kind of follow in Darby's footsteps, and there's there's reasons for that. But as a dispensationalist, I would reject uh, Darby and what he said concerning um, imputation. And uh, um, I'm in the school that Charles Spurgeon held to. Which, under, which, you know, he uh, faithfully taught the doctrine of imputation. One of the reasons why I like Spurgeon so much is because I didn't know about Spurgeon until after I understood imputation. So I listened to him and re- read his stuff, uh, read it, his stuff because he lived in uh, Victorian England, so he had, he's since passed away. But uh, reading his stuff, um, I was like, hey, this guy's correct in imputation. And so that's why I liked him afterwards. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so the fifteenth yeah, tier, that 's ridiculous. So I turn the page it 's uh, contents, and so I want to talk about how this is laid out like the whole the whole thesis um, in the um, contents page. You have charts I, ha- I put together some charts in here, um, so I have a list of the charts, and then they 're found later in the in the thesis list of abbreviations, glossary, some terms that people might not be familiar with. I defined in the beginning. And that's how you kind of write a thesis, you know, point out for people. And that's why I wrote this in such a way that so anyone can read this. Everything's clearly laid out and defined, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So there's the introduction to the topic, and then I have three chapters here. The, the first one is the historical development of triage. So we're talking about historical theology there, origin and secularism, origin and evangelicalism. So I trace both, kind of like. Um, Kind of, like, how now shall we li- then live? I hope I qu- quoted that correctly by Francis Schaefer. He goes through like these two, like these two, um, developments you know, the secular world and then also what was happening in the church. Mm-hmm. And so, I learned that from him and watching that, pr- that program, that series, which is an excellent series that I recommend to people. Um, so I learned it's this on from-
0: YouTube, isn't
1: it? Yeah, yeah, it's really good, man. Really good. It goes I mean, back the last I'll, 2,000 years. I'll put the, link. I'll put the so, link on there. So he traces what's happening in in the secular world and alongside that we know what what happened in the church and how the church interacted and, um, you know, uh, uh, commendations and criticisms and things in that sense. And then so, yeah, they have origin and evangelicalism and and then a little discussion about essentials and not essentials because I think it's really important um, to uh, to, to bring, you know, it's related to this because that's like a two-tier structure where people would say there's essentials and non-essentials. And then this is a doctoral triage is an evolution of this of that, two-tier, yeah. two-tier thing. And then the purpose of doctrinal triage, which, which, um, you know, both those that hold to it and those who criticize it, like myself, w- would say, this is, this is the purpose. And they're like, yeah, that's exactly what I'm trying to do. You know, ecumenism. Um, and then chapter two then is going into exegesis. So drawing out, you know, going these passages that are, um appealed to that by those who postulate doctrinal triage and looking at them and uh and through exegesis and and drawing out the author's intended meaning talking about Greek and everything and and these arguments and some other guys throughout church history that different positions and stuff because I had to put a lot you know I had to to look at commentaries and things as I was going through this part of the requirement for this particular assignment. Mm -hmm. Um so you got the Methean text is another way of saying uh, the text, the pericopes within the gospel of Matthew, you know, chapter 22, chapter 23, chapter 22 is, you know, the question, which is the greatest commandment in the law that was brought before Jesus. So that would be a good text to look at, you know, which is the greatest commandment in the law. So is there a tear therefore and then or tears and then you have weightier provisions of the law weightier. So weightier would suggest um, importance or degrees of importance And then Acts 15, 28 is is another one, necessary things, what's necessary for the church, and therefore what's not necessary. That's a good one. And then then you have Pauline text, which is epistles of Paul. So foundation and building, you know, with doctrine, 1 Corinthians 3, and then 1 Corinthians 13, the greatest of these is love, the greatest. You know, so is that talking about uh, some things more important than others? And then – of first importance this that's the main text that they appeal to first corinthians chapter 15 of first importance and going to the greek actually finding that um there's something very interesting there um is it dative or is it genitive so how is it translated there was a decision made by the translators to make it look as if uh to make it look different than it actually is and then uh unity of the faith uh, during i was talking about chapter four of ephesians mm-hmm. You know, what does true unity look like and what is it based upon? And then Jude 3. And so those, uh, he actually brings up Jude 3 when he's defining this in his books, Albert Muller. He's like, I'm contending for the faith, those once for all handed down to the saints. And so he appeals to that with, he's saying, this is the way you do that with doctrinal triage. And then finally, uh, chapter 3 is systematic theology. So I focus mainly on the doctrine of God, nature and unity of God. And so, can you triage his attributes? <laughs> um, and so, that's uh, a question that we look at. And so, you know, people do that all the time. You know, they isolate one yeah. from the other, and they just present God and they make a caricature of God because they talk a lot about His holiness and His love, right. or vice versa, or vice versa. And um, which which attributes are more important than others? Can we say that when we're talking about God? Uh, I don't think mm-hmm. so. And, oh. then, uh, and then the conclusion, you know, going through all this and all these discussions, you know, this is the conclusion I came to. Is there any biblical warrant for the doctrinal triage? And then the answer to that question it comes in uh, the conclusion. And then I have an appendix because I want to look at implications for ecclesiology, uh, the philosophy of ministry, and then appendix B. And I was running out of time because I, uh, I could write as many appendix as I could because there's, there's a page limit to this. But beyond that, you can add appendix, app- appendices um, I hope the yeah, appendix. How do you, what's a poor way of saying appendix? Appendices. 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 Thank you. You're welcome. My, brother, my mind's my brother. mind's moving <laughs> faster than my mouth. Go ahead. Can I can I add
2: something here? You know, even even, even the, the the criticisms and you know, we, we have we have some listeners today and I, I'm so thankful for them, but I, I certainly want to encourage their hearts and encourage them that you know a lot of people who take exception with what has been written in this thesis jump to appendix a and in their minds they jump to the implications for their ministries without looking at the arguments as to how we've arrived there
3: yeah exactly Um,
2: so i you know i I would caution our dear brothers and sisters who are listening who may be hearing about this for the first time that you can't jump there you can't deal with implications before you deal with the proper interpretation of the arguments Um, so a lot of people will go about calling this trash and trying to be dismissive about it because they they don't they neglect to
1: actually look at the arguments themselves yeah no no one's really refuted the claims or looked at them and said the arguments
0: another another issue is the fact that we live in a society we live in what is called the tl semicolon dr society that means too long semicolon didn't read
2: (laughs) yeah dht don't have time Right. That, that's, yeah, the, that's the type this, of society that we is, live
0: in today, where people just want to have knee-jerk reactions and emotional responses, and and this permeates even into societal issues that we're having today. People just don't want to take the time to do the research
1: yeah. and, and, and so, dig
0: and do yeah. the homework to discover the actual truth; they'd rather so, just uh, yeah. make their uh, emotions and opinions the authority.
1: Yeah, that's totally correct. And so I want to I want to take those people by the hand and I want to I want to walk them through this because uh yeah, that's, this why, that's is a, why we're doing this yeah yeah this is very it's a it's entertaining there's some sarcasm in here there's some sardonic comments there's things that are just going to blow your mind and that you didn't think about but there's other things that you did think about and you felt very strongly about and so we're going through this and um and this is something that's exciting and very important as we brought as we brought up before you know this is uh because it, it have people use this as a hermeneutical principle if it, if they have and they are doing it now and it's not attested from the word of God, they're in serious trouble. And you are also in serious trouble if you are using this as a hermeneutical principle, if it's not self-attested from the word of God. So this is something that, you know, when someone comes up to you and and tries to argue how important it is to get a new roof on your house or to get life insurance and, and, and and those things, people get real, you know, give them their attention and everything. But what about, what about standing before God and going over these features and then hearing, Um, you know, things that that you could, they could have uh, had opportunity. uh, You know, I'm just saying that hypothetically, if you just stop Uh, for a minute. So real, real, real
0: quick, I got a question in the comment section for you, Eric. Oh yeah. Uh Uh, It says, could it be that those who are critical of your work think that they have arrived and are rooted and grounded in what they have studied and you are a young kid in their eyes, and are trying to correct them. Um i
1: i certainly I certainly yeah, I believe. Be. <laughs> I certainly, I certainly believe that that uh, that that could definitely be someone's problem who's older than I am, and taking taking exception to me.
0: Well, oh, I get uh, that myself. So.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, because um you uh. I, we don't want to talk about people's ages because some people get a little sensitive about that. But <laughs> as I point, as I pointed out when, when some people were taking exception he was in seminary ah. and they were saying, <laughs> they're saying you're young and all the rest. Um, you know, at that time when, when this was happening, yeah, I looked the guy in the eye and said, you know, uh, sir, I'm actually the same age. Our Lord was when he, when he hung on the cross and died for my sins.
0: I oh, was savage.
1: <laughs> and now, now I'm, now I'm much older than that. So, you know, and one of,
2: Oh, go ahead, brother. I'm sorry.
1: I uh, just went when, when's the time? When's the age that you actually listen to somebody? You know, yeah. um, and so uh, let's just say I'm less less than sixty.
2: <laughs> well, well, when they when yeah. when 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 when, uh, when Paul told Timothy not to let them despise his youth, he was what late maybe late thirties. Yeah, you know, early forties. Yeah, but, so. but, but but I wanna I want brother. I just wanna add. But that, know, but that's a
1: good that's a good question because that's that's an excellent yeah. question. That's definitely a feature of how people act in modern evangelicalism
0: was it josiah started raining when he was eight right i think he's eight nine yeah, something like that because so. if someone's
1: <laughs> someone's holding the sound doctrine the word of god is timeless and not uh there's no rank or riverbank correct uh, and and there's there's no age limit um you know it, it has to do with uh, uh regeneration mm-hmm. and that's why i told nicodemus you must be born again and he was, he was an older, older man, and he had this younger guy talking to Nicodemus. And so Nicodemus is like, you know, how can these things be? And so Jesus is saying, your whole life was wrapped up in your fraternity. you got to start all over again, and you can't do it by yourself. Only God can bring that about. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's a scary thing for older people to hear. All
2: right, Brother, this, this also this should not be lost on people that, you know, with all the events going on and um, with respect to the – "Quote unquote pandemic enclosures," a lot of people are now beginning to argue for the essentiality of certain businesses, uh, of certain churches, yes. and what what's not lost on me is that they're they're uh, they have a lamentation about the triage in society. But to me, if you're going to argue that the church is essential. You'd yeah, probably want to begin to argue that all of her doctrines are essential. With the yeah, there's that,
1: there's that, but you, you see what has happened in this year with triage,
2: right? right.
1: And the effect that has has ruined people's lives, absolutely. And so I actually bring up a medical journal, of doctors, and, and uh, that that creates standards, um, in the emergency medical uh, thing, the, the uh, um, field that you brought up that I had, to, I had to buy the journal the rights and everything in order to put it in here yeah. and they they the secular doctors are questioning the ethical um principles of triage in the secular world um and i'll i'll talk about that when we bring that up but that you know they also are doing that because you you see how society is structured this way and everything revolves around this and how you know people you triage people and triage businesses and things and um and uh, what, what the culture actually deems essential, et cetera. And so now that we live in a post-Christian culture, they're not going to—they're not going to consider church very essential. And that's why you have all these Christians saying, "No, we are essential. We are essential." John MacArthur's saying, "We are essential," and he's—he's he's fighting against the state, uh, rightfully so because they're messing with the rights that they have. But he's arguing, "We are essential," um, and so. Christians need to think about this and and look at this thing because look at what has happened in the last several months.
2: Yeah, it's not, and it's not, it's not only, and I think we'll get to this in the thesis, it's not only the gathering together that is essential. It's what you do when you gather together. It's the yeah, doctrine that you're being taught. It's the, the foundation upon which your fellowship is established. Uh, I think this thesis will give a lot of meat to people who are stopping at we want to be known as essential, but don't understand kind of how that fleshes out in their, in their churches. So.
1: Um, one person here on um, that listening in said Spurgeon started preaching as a late teen. That was probably difficult. Cause he was, yeah, it was he like, was like eight, he was like 18 16. or 19. Yeah. Yeah. Even early. Yeah, exactly. And then another person, uh, the, um, checked the, the largest fact.
3: church in England.
1: Yes. Um, Check the fact here. Yes, eight years old yeah Josiah is Josiah yep, cool.
0: thanks for fact checking us too can
3: I can I say something along the lines of that question, which is a, a great question. It's something that uh probably all four of us have dealt with uh, you know and so for me, if someone was to ask me that question saying you know they're critical of your work, they think they have arrived I mean that's the key uh, so people think because of age it, it necessarily equates to wisdom. <clears> that's not what the Bible teaches. You know, it says there's wisdom with gray You know, I'm getting my grace. So I guess people can't, you know, uh, justify towards me anymore. Um, yeah. But basically, wisdom is based upon God and his word and, and, and put in you. And so that wisdom is you speaking God's word truth out. So it's irrelevant of age. And so when I was in my, my early 20s, um, I, I had entire churches telling me to, to basically shut up. Your zeal is too much. It's only because you're young. It's only because you haven't experienced anything. And they had no idea what I've I'd been through in my life. I've, I've been through more than they had in 40, 50. And so the, the idea of age, they're 50-year-old fools. They're 60-year-old fools. There's 18-year-old wise men, 17-year-old wise women. And so God's word is the one that determines what's wise and what's not. And I had statements made to me, uh, wait till you have kids, as if that was a determiner of what wisdom and truth was. Well, I ha- I have one. So my question to them was, well, what happens when I do have kids? I was like, so does it make you wise or make you a fool? They couldn't really answer it. And I said, well, how many is enough? One, two, three, four. Does it make you more wise? Then they said, well, wait till you get married. And, you know, so now I have kids. Now I'm married. You know what? I, I joke about my gray hair. What's their excuse? You know, so that, that's humanism.
1: Just to be that, clear that you had you had kids after you are married. <laughs> yes, I, I had kids after I was married. So, so I, I had one
3: and then two. And, and, you know, by God's grace, you know. And so the thing is, though, for me, I used to laugh even then uh you know and their accusations uh there's many people throughout the scriptures that weren't married uh you know there's many that didn't have children so the determiner of wisdom and truth has nothing to do with your external situations or your age now someone that is of age that is truly proclaiming god's word and has wisdom then we must respect if they're of age and they don't have god's truth and wisdom we must reject and so the kind of idea uh that there's some superiority because of your age is um humanism comes yeah. from a world system,
2: and, yeah. and and you know, you know the, the the detail that shouldn't be lost on us is, if, you know, for individuals that feel like maybe they've arrived, they have to understand that men have either triaged them or that they're triaging men on the way to their Absolutely. ideology that they've
1: arrived. Yeah. And you're triaging age and all the rest. Yeah, yeah.
2: exactly. Yeah,
0: there's there's a. Are you going to read that comment?
1: Um, is there another one? There's another. Yeah
0: so would you brothers consider going to Armenia and do these expositions as discussions in the church there?
1: Oh, Absolutely. hold on a second. No, time of a second. One hundred percent. I just, Absolutely. I just get off work. <laughs>
0: yeah. I, I would so love
1: to. I, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta check with my immediate supervisor. <laughs> and I'll, I will, I will, I will, with pleasure, leave and go. <laughs> here and there this and that it, you know if, if the lord wills yeah 100 but in, in, yeah. The mean, in the
0: in the meantime what we can do uh is you know find out how we can get some copies yeah, and mean, help if we could, yeah. if somebody can yes. trans, or if we, we can send. get somebody to translate it into armenian oh yeah the thesis into armenian and we can ship them out and they can use it that way
2: um, yes, we, and so, can,
0: we can send these it, videos. It would, it would be that, an
2: honor, however, however we can do that to
0: yeah. yeah. However, Last we time. can help
2: you. We'll we'll be glad to help you. Uh, All right. and,
0: and, and so the
1: for the for the for the one who who sent this um, comment, we really appreciate it. Um, and uh, if you want a hard copy, we will send one to you. You Just got to send us your address. But he goes on the right. There's a much need of encouragement in there, uh, specifically at this time of military and spiritual war right now. Well, also, let me just um, reiterate, as there's nothing different than it is here. It, you know, in the United States of America, we're having a spiritual war. And so, but we, yeah, I would love to go there and encourage yeah, we'll, the brethren there. We'll go, there in, we'll go anywhere. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I
2: have to I have to tell whomever asked that. I'm not looking at the comments, but, you know, absolutely. And it was the Lord used uh, an Armenian brother to, to testify about his crossword to me. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, so... You know to me it would be it would be an honor to return that type of uh that type of proclamation and,
0: yeah.
2: and exhortation to the people and yeah, and yeah we, yes
0: uh another question we have friends right quick yeah, another we, question was okay as well as maybe do virtual trainings with them yeah we're working on oh, getting yes yeah, we're that's actually great. working on getting the virtual trainings going yeah uh, right now this. we're gonna we're gonna yeah, let's
2: have talk let's talk have have uh we yeah. connect, we but we're connect. we're due. I mean,
1: I I've, I've been invited to go to, um, you know, uh, Idaho. Uh, we have friends in Florida, at a, at a church that Chris used to go to that that I was able to go through on the way back, from from the West Coast. I believe mm-hmm. Duran went there too. Yeah,
2: word Life people
0: has um, Mike. I don't think has yeah. Mike. Have you gone there, Mike?
3: To Word of Life?
0: Yeah. No, I have not. All right, we got to get you there.
3: Yeah.
1: And then uh, there's um, we have friends um, in Africa too Africa. that. That'd be nice to vi- I mean so there's a lot of people it's just really tough tough to uh move around, especially now, but yeah. hopefully when this clears up and uh we' little more organized with things uh we'll be able to do a lot more travel but remember all these resources are available the biblical christ research institute the um WordPress has all the articles and you can click on uh the thesis is on there. You know, if you click on it's gonna show the the star of life. And again, I'm taking exception to the star to that star. It's not the star of life, it's just what they call it. But underneath you have the sentence of the title of the thesis that you click on and that will bring up the PDF. And so you got so we have that, but also we have this available now that we're gonna get like Chris was saying on YouTube, we're gonna to start to have classes and stuff so so people can have uh that that resources extended uh to everybody. But it would be awesome to to go and, and preach and teach at different churches, um, especially there and, and other places, so I pre- I definitely appreciate that.
0: Yeah, we'll we'll get uh, we'll get with. Uh, is it Harut? Is that how we pronounce it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we'll we'll yeah. get we'll get with you and uh,
1: whatever you need,
0: and get you whatever you need, brother.
1: Yeah. So we got we got about fifteen more minutes. Um, mm. So let's just get get back to. Let's go to turn the page. Uh, the V five um, charts, <laughs> Roman numeral, Roman numeral five, back up one, just go back one. Nope. Yeah, there we go. The chart. So chart chart one is found on page 12 and you don't have to turn there yet. Cause we'll get there, but I just want to point out the charts here. Uh, summary. The first one, chart one is summary of Al Mohler's three tier structure of doctrine. So I drew it because I was provoked and I wanted to draw an inverted triangle to show how he's, he's making you know doctrine you know the the, the triangle is flipped so right the bottom of the triangle is the one that's less important um and then chart two is this guy meldenius who was lutheran and he came up with the uh distinction between essentials and non-essentials and uh and i have his chart his list of what he thought was mm-hmm. essential and non-essential he came after martin luther in the reformation he was lutheran uh, page fifteen. But it's interesting when you read Maldenius's chart. Everything that he says is essential is found in the Word of God, and everything that's not essential is just what pastors and theologians were saying at the time. This is interesting, and that's that's where you trace that that concept essential non essential. I need to bring that up because that that was part and parcel to this discussion. Because uh, I'm arguing that that doctrinal th- uh, triage is an evolution from that, and then finally the, the yeah. final chart is context of first corinthians is a really good chart even if you're teaching through first corinthians you can use it as a great resource um correction of the in the church so i'm tracing um i'm tracing the uh you know the word you know schisma and what does it mean to divide and, and all that stuff uh and on page 38 now if you go to the list of abbreviate wait yeah list of abbreviations i believe is the next page um in order to write this thesis um that that's that's the first one. The Annals of Emergency Medicine and International Journal was the one that I'm that I'm showing, where these doc, these doctors from um, the emergency medical or medicine world are actually questioning uh, triage and the implications of, it. and they go through the history of triage. So I learned a lot about the history of where it came from, the Napoleonic Wars through this journal, and it's an excellent uh, description of that. And so I quote: I actually own the. Uh, I own own a copy of the journal, and then I had to request and pay for rights to put that in here, uh, to quote it, but uh, it's definitely helpful for the argument as you're tracing the historical development of this thing. And then all the other ones are, you know, JETS is in here, Uh, Journal of Evangelical Theological Society is one of them. Uh, MacArthur New Testament Commentary is in here. Uh, I, I point out what MacArthur wrote in uh so in some of the methean texts so it'll be interesting yeah. for those um that like macarthur you know if this was brought before him what would he say and then uh 10 day only testament comments so i had put a bunch of commentaries in here um and then turn the page is the glossary so these are some terms that are found in the thesis that may or may not be familiar to people and so whenever i saw if you turn the page to uh roman numeral number seven Um, You'll see a glossary of terms in Roman numeral number. Oh, yeah, there we go. Wait, is it? up? Yeah. And so whenever I saw a big word when I was reading uh, any um, book or anything, I had to go to the dictionary and look it up. So I'm kind of helping people out uh, if they don't know some of these concepts and as such, because like I'm saying, anyone can read this. And so for anyone listening in, if there, you ever see a big word like that in anything that you're reading in newspaper or any book or anything, and you don't know what it is, just stop and look it up. Look it up. Yeah. yeah so you got a glossary here. The first one's amalgamate. That means to blend and combine into an incorporated whole. Then the Christocentric hermeneutic, which is a hermeneutical principle. That's not a self that's not self-attested from the word of God, but it it, it sounds really good because it's, it's, christocentric hermeneutic and this is something that's very popular master seminary wrote uh against uh quite a bit and it was brought up when i was there but anyway it's an interpretational principle that seeks to show the significance of every text in the old testament new testament is the work and person of christ for example like you know when the axe floats to the, the axe head floats to the, to the surface or the water in the old testament um they argue well, that that represents jesus being raised from the dead that would be an example of the Christocentric hermeneutic, and uh, <laughs> Sorry. like stuff like that. So it sounds really good <laughs> because his name's in it, um, and there's lots of typology and features in the Old Testament. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, there is. As an overarching hermeneutical principle, like that. So everything, like even like the axe head rising to the surface, um, that's representing him being raised from the dead. Um, I don't think that's what that is representing there And then uh, divines is a term that was used in the Reformation rever- Referring to people that held cler- cler- clerical offices Clerical offices clerical. Excuse me. Yeah. Um, Hapax legomenon is an interesting term And this helps me in some of my argumentation As I'm looking at exegesis Drawing out the author's intended meaning So hapax legomena is an item found only once in a body of literature So, so some of the words in Greek that are found in the New Testament are apex legomena because they're not found anywhere else. So it's very challenging to develop an entire system based off a apex legomena when you can't appeal to other scriptures, uh, at, you know, etc. So that's an interesting term and it's helpful to understand what that is. Inclusio is an development uh, figure, a literary tactic that brackets a textual unit and typically marks that unit's theme by means of repeated elements. And then you have... The, the next three terms are important for understanding what we're actually talking about and what's happening in emergency medicine and what these doctors are actually uh, criticizing or um, questioning the ethical implications. The first one's macro allocation to plan the distri- uh, distribution of resources concerning public health policies at a large level. It has to do with resources that are available macro allocation is distributing resources at a large level and then there's micro allocation to select which individuals receive scarce scarce or insufficient healthcare care resources and so triage is wrapped up into that you know who are you going to um, distribute these resources to and, and even in our society and if things get really bad there's going to be macro and micro allocation of resources mm-hmm. in this country and that's why a lot of people are interested in um, um you know population control What happens when we're out of resources Well you know Let's tier the population So elderly people let's get rid of them first Because they're going to take up some of the food And resources um, I, I believe Abortion is a form of that too Yeah A population control You know It is. Who was, who was the woman who started the whole thing Margaret, Margaret Sanger, Sanger. She wanted to wipe out the African American uh Eugenics. ethnicities. Eugenics. She, wanted to, she said that she wanted to wipe out African American ethnicities in the United States. Am I wrong or am I right?
0: You are correct. Absolutely right. Correct.
1: And that's and that's tied to the Democrat Party, and you can't take that away from the Democrats. <laughs> so that's why that that's why um MacArthur makes those comments like, you know, you cannot be how can you be a Christian if you're a Democrat when it's tied to Um, the murder of little children. And, and I'm not, I'm not uh, advocating the Republicans here. I'm just saying like, you can't take that away from the Democrats. That's, that's what they do. That's what they hold to. And it's tied to how they triage uh, the world and their surroundings, micro and macro allocation, but also racism and all the rest. And then finally you have triage to sort according to quality. Triage means to sort according to quality. That's what the word means. And I go over the etymology in the French language where it comes from in the Napoleonic wars where we first see this, uh, this concept developing. So, so I think and, that, should... and
0: that goes back to what I, what I was, uh, what I came to the conclusion about when you asked me about how I came to discover <clears throat> that the triage was wrong. The implication of this word triage is that some, some it's not just doctrine because doctrine comes from the word of God. So, if you have primary, secondary, tertiary doctrine, then that same value gets attributed to passages in the word of God, where some passages in the word of God are more important than others. So, you have primary, secondary, and tertiary passages. And and this is why people will read. It's part of the reason why people ignore the Old Testament. It's part of the reason why people ignore certain parts of the New Testament, because It doesn't have value in their uh, triage system. And that's just a dangerous thing to do because all of God's word is valuable and all of God's word is, is, is of equal importance. Yeah. None of it should be neglected.
1: Exactly. And that's what we're fighting for. So I think this is, uh, I mean, we got like a few more minutes, uh, we can open up for like, um, some, some, uh, Closing thoughts and everything, but I would like to go, go next time. We'll just start on, on one and we'll work our way through this. It's going to be entertaining and we're going to see a lot of stuff in here. Um, There's going to be some comedy, but also some serious things happening. And I think it'd be good because uh, it's good to go through this and explain and talk about Napoleonic Wars and talk about the Reformation and, uh, and just exercise uh, these features according to historic theology biblical theology and systematic theology and kind of the way that we kind of need to be looking at all these things in that sense and uh, i think it'd be a help i mean regardless of what we're actually i mean this is very important for us to tackle this issue and arrive the correct conclusion but this is also kind of like a template for how we should really approach kind of every discussion you know doctrine and all the rest and, and what people are saying today and what people, you know, said throughout the, the Victorian era and then, the, and then the, the Puritans and the Reformation and the medieval period, the patristic age and the apostol- apostolic age, we have the New Testament. And so as we're, as we're working through these things, um, the historical discussion um, with, you know, historical theology and then the biblical discussion, d- discussion uh, exegesis drawing out from the author's meaning, meaning, um, looking at the Greek, you know, because we're, we're spending a lot of time in the New Testament with this. Um, and then uh, in the New Testament was written, the original autographs were written in Greek. And then, um, and then systematic theology, uh, looking, about, looking at first, starting with first things, uh, looking at the doctrine of God and bibliology. So it really is an exercise of, of protecting and um, defending sound biblical hermeneutics. Yeah. scripture self-attested principles of interpretation, the literal grammatical historical geographical hermeneutic.
0: All right, Daron or Mike, do you have any closing comments before I close it out?
3: Uh, I have I have one thing. Anyone that's listening, as you go through this and, and you realize, you, you might not even realize that your hermeneutic was doctrinal triage. There are some people that don't, you know, I'm not dismissing uh, that you have to do the work to understand this, but you might be coming to that realization. Uh, and, and if you are, uh, don't don't be discouraged. Uh, be, be encouraged and understanding that um, as things are brought before you in truth, as uh, God's uh, love and mercy in drawing you out of those things and bringing you into truth. And so our desire is, is it's not it's not it's not so much here. We're not here to win an argument. Uh, we're, we're here to present the truth to people, to see them free from things that we believe are unbiblical and put people in bondages from seeing God's worth in his totality and living for him in his totality. So, uh, you know, there may be some out there that come to this realization and it may be difficult and understanding, but uh, embrace it. Don't fight it. Uh, Cry out to God for wisdom and and understanding and patience. And if you have any questions, please reach out to any
1: of us. Yes. And also, uh, you know, we have hard copies available if anyone's interested in owning a hard copy, receiving one. Uh, they're free. Just uh, contact us and we'll, we'll mail them to you.
2: Yes. Right. Duran. Yeah, you know, I would just say, and it's, a, it's an argument that's, that will come up, um, just because I believe Eric addresses it in the thesis that, uh, and if he doesn't, it's probably good to mention it here, but I believe it's in there. But, you know, when we're talking about who God is, essentially, you know, the spirit of the age, the world's events, you know, all the conflicts that are going on in the world, it doesn't cause us to believe for one minute that God's resources are scarce or somehow yes. because times mm-hmm. are urgent, we have to compartmentalize doctrine so that we can fight on a particular front. If we are the body of Christ, then we're, we're, you know, we're with God where the majority is paraphrasing John Knox. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're in the situation where we don't serve a kingdom that lacks resources. Yeah. That, that, that argument, power.
1: yeah, that argument is in there. And that was the it contribution. There. Okay. But that's a, your contribution because you and I were talking about that, and I was right. asking questions about you know micro and macro allocation, and and yeah. that was something that you brought up, and I was like, man, that is that, you know that is a very powerful argument if you're looking at the doctrine of God who He is, um, and the fact that you know He owns everything, right? So there's so, there's there's no uh, limit of resources, especially when it comes to His Word,
2: and 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 that's you know so I I, I would say to be encouraged that way, you know one of the this is all about spiritual warfare. And one of the ways Satan discourages people and disheartens them is by somehow thinking that what we have is limited and that, you know, we have to leave one front that's important in terms of spiritual battles in order to engage another front. But that's not true. I mean, this, the word of God is in and of itself powerful and is powerful because it is unified, the unified body of uh, divine truth. And so we can fight along those lines and understand that, it, it, it certainly does accomplish what it set out to do. Mm -hmm. And so we don't have to begin with the presupposition of triads that somehow, you know, because society has grown more deceitful and wicked, that we have to abandon certain theological constructs that are true in order to be more effective in battle that nowhere does the Bible teach that at all. And so my encouragement to those of you who are listening, uh, that you'll find great freedom in contending for all the doctrines, uh, of the faith because they all are, they are all indeed unified.
1: Amen. Yeah. All
0: right. So <clears throat> again, just in closing, uh, we do have copies. Uh, if you would like a copy, you can, uh, Well, somebody already commented in the section. So I'll, I'll make sure I, that's, that's my mom. I'll send her a copy. Um, <laughs> uh, but if you need a copy or if you have questions or you have comments, further comments, uh, you can reach her, uh, reach us at the Biblical Christ Research Institute on Messenger on Facebook, or we do have an email address, bcritrainofthought at gmail.com. You can email us that way, and uh, we'll make sure we respond to you in a timely manner. Uh, just uh, don't hold it to our heads if we take a little time, because we're, we're all <laughs> quite busy men. So, you work um, with our
1: hands, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we are. also go ahead, ahead. No, I'm saying yeah, we are. Like we're all working with our hands and um but I want to thank the listeners too and and everyone <laughs> who um contributed comments and just encourage everyone to please tune in next time. We're going to do it again next uh Sunday right Chris. Mhm. Same yeah. time. So and we're going to switch uh, we're going to switch over to YouTube.
0: Um <clears throat> I'm I'm going to check on that and see what all I need to do to get it verified. If I if I get that done, we'll be on YouTube. If not, we'll do it again on Facebook until I can get that fixed up. Um, but yeah, just uh, for those of you who are uh, watch our podcast live, just I'll keep you posted so you know what 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 link is going to come up. Um, also, again, we welcome disagreement. So if there's anybody out there that doesn't agree with anything that we discuss on our podcast and you would like to come on and uh, discuss it with us, we have no problem with that. Just again, you can hit us up on Messenger, or you can send us an email, bcritrainofthought at gmail.com, and we, we'll be more than happy for you to come on a podcast and uh, discuss it. But And challenge us, yeah. As we have said, we're going to go to the Word, and we're going to deal with it through the Word of God. We're going to exegete Scripture, and that's how we're going to do it. We're not going to get into, you know, petty high school, elementary school arguments, kicking dirt and throwing uh, taking your toys go home, throw your ball over the roof and we're not doing that. We're gonna we're gonna allow the word of God to speak to all of us in our disagreement and because like we said and we've said it on several podcasts, we're trying to stand on the truth. So if we're wrong, we're gonna fix that. Okay. And we ask the same of you. If you if you are convicted through the Holy Spirit that whatever doctrine it is that you're believing or you're disagreeing with us about. And it, you come to find out that it's incorrect. We pray that you will humble yourself and you would, you would change that and you would cling to the truth. It's, that's all we have It's the word of God. It's the truth. Amen. And the Holy Holy spirit promises to lead us into all truth. Jesus promises that. Okay. Um, And I believe I'm looking at my little notes I wrote down. I believe that's it. So we thank you guys for, uh, joining us for this podcast and thank you for staying with us for so long um because another thing in this society is you know people can't pay attention for very long so we thank you for staying with us for this hour and a half Uh, we tend to go about an hour and a half if it's if we need to go a little longer we we will but we thank you for supporting us we ask that you just continue to pray for us that we would continue to be courageous and stand on the truth Uh, And proclaim the truth of God's word So you all Have a great week Have a blessed week Stay focused on the Lord And walk in his ways And we will see you all next week has been Train of Thought, a podcast of the Biblical Christ Research Institute. For our written articles, go to bcri.wordpress.com. And for sermons, go to SoundCloud and search Biblical Christ Church. For comments and questions, email us at Thought at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.